0: G'day, I'm Sean and welcome to the Car Expert podcast. We're back for another week. We're trying this little setup again. You guys, you like this a little bit more, don't you? We're actually holding hands under the table as we speak, <laughs> so I'm personally a big fan of it. <laughs> yes, we've gotten them each their own cameras this week, so you feel a little bit more special. James, you want to say hi to the people down your camera? You yes, this one's a... my it's, one, right?
1: That yeah, one yeah, my is. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. <laughs> if I lean across, will I be in his camera? A little
0: bit, yeah. There you go, all right.
2: Scullyception.
0: Yes. <laughs> now we've got the new toys out of the way. Guys, uh, we've got a bit of an interesting week. We're not doing a review as such this week. We're going to answer a couple of questions that people have sent in. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, some interesting things that have happened in the industry this week. First of all, we're going to kick straight off our Subaru Solterra. It's the first fully electric car to come out of Subaru. And uh, I don't know whether they don't have any confidence in it, but they've already knocked eight grand off the price and it hasn't even gone on sale yet.
1: It's a pretty significant price drop, isn't it? Given people have been pre-ordering this car already based on what Subaru said. None of them have been delivered yet. We haven't driven it. We're driving it tomorrow as of the time of recording. Um,
0: It's not the first time we've seen this though from an electric car in Australia. Mm, yes, there was a recent incident with the uh, Mustang Mach-E, where I think they did. What was that was actually the exact? It was same the same thing. amount of money, yeah. yeah. it was the same amount of money, pretty much the same amount of time before the car was available to the public. Um, I, I, mean, this is weird, right? Like, because it's now down to $69,990 before on-road costs for the base model which is still like four or five grand more than a Model Y, I think. It is more than a Model Y, but it's worth remembering that the base Model
1: Y is rear wheel drive. The base Solterra is all wheel drive. So the range numbers and the power output numbers, they don't all quite cross over neatly, Um, but yeah, fundamentally you're paying four grand more for the cheapest Solterra than the cheapest Model Y. It's gonna be really interesting to see what the impact is on Toyota. We're also driving the BZ4X, which is Toyota's version of this car. For those of you, it's
0: it's the same car, but with the Toyota badge, basically. It's like the 86 and BRZ. Exactly, very similar collaboration, probably less
1: fun to drive than those two (laughs) cars. Um, But Toyota hasn't released BZ4X pricing yet. We're gonna find out. It'll be live at 2 p.m. on Tuesday, the 27th of February. Also my birthday, incidentally, um, on the website. Um, Whether Toyota at head office is now scrambling to find a few coins under the couch cushions to see if they can cut the price of the BZ4X as well, or
0: whether they'd anticipated that they have some agreement with Subaru and they already knew this was coming. So James, I'm curious, and you may not know the answer to this, but do you think there must be some meat in these electric cars that they're able to just cut the price before even go on sale?
2: It's an interesting question because I think we've sort of heard mixed reports from various ends of the industry where, you know, some manufacturers have had to inflate prices to make a profit because, you know, resources and materials are quite expensive and then trying to come into the market when you have brands like the the Chinese Challengers and Tesla, they're very, very sharp with their pricing. So a lot of these brands that, you know, the Japanese probably aren't affected as much, but the ones that produce cars in Europe and it's um, subject to tariffs and things like that, there's a lot of factors in there. we just don't know for a fact, like what each manufacturer is dealing with from that perspective, but being able to slash that much money off it, you have to think that there might've been a little bit of wiggle room there. And also it means that if they're perhaps not making a lot of profit per unit, they're anticipating a lot more volume. So then they can sort of offset that with these discounts.
0: I'm curious, because I remember when they first announced pricing on the Solterra, we all sort of, our chins all hit the floor <laughs> and they said, was like, yeah. like, what? Um, yeah. Do you feel like manufacturers are losing a bit of confidence in in EV sales at the moment? That's maybe why this is happening?
1: I think we're more seeing the market come to where it really is. Electric car demand, I don't think is going to slow down. I think it won't grow at the same rate, but we're not going to see it fall off. But what we're seeing now is the fact that in Australia, we've gone from having essentially one or two really good viable options to having in that sort of price range of the Solterra, the Model Y, the Solterra, potentially the BZ4X, the Mustang marquee, we're expecting uh, the Hyundai Kona electric, excuse me, in there as well. There's a lot of choice, there's a lot of supply. And also I think people are starting to tighten their belts a little bit given mortgages keep increasing, groceries are really expensive, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, There's a lot of new reasons why maybe you won't just spend whatever the price is on an electric car, you'll consider it more carefully than you otherwise would have previously. So I don't know that it's about confidence so much, I think it's more just about the market kind of coming to where it really is in states without subsidies
0: and in states where there's now
1: finally more competition.
0: And James, what do you do you think that the like we've seen substantial growth in EVs in Australia over the last sort of year or two? Do you think that's gonna slow a little bit? Do you think that the market's becoming a little flooded now, that there's almost everyone's getting their finger in the EV pipe.
2: Yeah, I think at the moment it'll probably stay steady. I think with all these new options, perhaps part of the problem is that people are sort of getting overwhelmed with the choice now and everything's sort of a bit same-same because everyone's coming in with a mid sized SUV that has sort of somewhere between 400 and 500 Ks of range. And I think for a lot of people, it's a question of, do I just go with Tesla with what everyone's buying or like a BYD, or do I try the new thing from the trusted brand that I've probably bought with for many years? And you know, you sort of see it in Europe, there's really high saturation of the market and you're starting to see their sales decline now that the initial rush of EV buyers have come through. I think there's probably still a little bit of time here before that happens, especially as we ramp up with emission standards, we still have the FBT exemptions in place. I think it's just more of people understanding what is available to them. And I think now people aren't just rushing anymore because it's not like I have to get in line now in the (laughs) hope that I don't wait for 12 months. I think they have a little bit more time to research and and perhaps do um, a bit more homework to figure out what works best for them.
0: Do you think this will be a trend we're going to keep seeing evs come down do you think like tesla would would look at cutting their prices i know they're very apple with the way they do their prices but do you think we might see them all drop a bit now
1: i don't know that they're going to drop across the board um depending on the brand they're trying to pitch these cars at a different point to the rest of their ranges and you look at hyundai for example the ionic 5 sits above the kona electric in the range because it's a bigger car but also it wants that ionic brand to be a bit more premium and upmarket. So. We might see cheaper models with a shorter range, less equipment, but I don't think cars that have been pitched as more expensive and premium, as well as being electric, are gonna see big price cuts. What I do think is brands are going to have to really go back and forward with head office. And and that's a part of this process that we probably haven't talked about. Subaru Australia doesn't build this car. Subaru Australia is actually distributed through uh, Inchcape, which is a third party distributor, and they buy the Solterra from Subaru globally and then they wholesale it to the dealers from there. So there's a lot of steps in the process and a big part of how a car's priced in Australia is based on the price that they can get the car from overseas for. I would imagine there's a lot of people in Australian head offices right now really pushing head office hard for a better price on supply of electric cars, knowing that they're not gonna be able to get away with just pricing it and people snapping it up straight away. And rather than price cuts for the sake of it or price cuts because there's fat built in, I would imagine we might see price cuts because car makers are really pushing their head offices hard um, given the competition and also the imminent emission standards we're going to see.
0: And I know you guys interact with dealers from time to time uh, in in your day-to-day roles. Do you find that they're moving these EVs off a lot quickly or they're sort of sitting there for an extended period of time?
1: Look it really depends on the brand and I think as well you've got to remember that it's still very early days for a lot of these dealers. when Hyundai launched the Ionic, not the Ionic 5 or 6 with the little Toyota Prius looking thing, it had a very limited network of dealers that actually sold the plug-in hybrid and the electric. It had sort of, I think they called them blue dealers or something like that. A lot of these new car dealers are only now learning about what makes these cars move and how to market them, and a lot of them are dealing with new business models as well. In the case of Hyundai, the dealers distribute these electric cars, but they're actually centrally managed. So you order through Hyundai Australia and then that you choose your dealer and then you pick it up from that dealer. It's sort of a hybrid agency model that's different to how they sell the rest of their cars. So it's hard to get a read at the moment because from Tesla and BYD, who have a very modern sales distribution network, through to someone like a Hyundai, which has a hybrid model it's working with, through to other brands which are just selling them like normal stock, there's a lot of different models and sort of, I suppose, stages at play that, that mean it's hard to get a consistent read. I think. If there is money to be made and people want to buy these cars, dealers will push them. I'd be surprised if there are many dealers that are keen for a big flood of electric stock at the moment. I would imagine they're keen for it to be a trickle as they sort of work out what the demand is and they're ordering from there.
0: All right, last question and we'll we'll move on from the Soltero, mindful of time. (laughs) Um, There was long, for a long time, a war between whether an 86 or a BRZ was better. And I'm curious, just on paper, neither of you having driven either of these cars, just on paper, would you go the Solterra or would you go the BZ4X, James? I'll ask you first. I
2: personally like the face of the Solterra better. It looks a bit friendlier. And from the way that Subaru has um, structured its range, having two versions or two variants with different equipment rather than, and the same drivetrain, I think Toyota's gonna go a different route and perhaps go a two-wheel drive model and an all-wheel drive model and that will determine how they position it. Um, but I think that from what I see of the spec sheet on the Solterra, it seems fairly well rounded in terms of what it's got relative to the price and now with these discounts it's definitely a lot more compelling um, but again the, the, they're pretty much the same car really like that, that's the thing it's very much down to which one you like the look of and when once Toyota releases pricing that'll determine which one's better value. I'm going to go the Toyota purely so we have different answers
1: <laughs> um, and I'm driving it tomorrow as okay. well so I bought a BRZ back in the day when those two options were there I'm going to flip the script now go BZ4X because I don't need my electric car to be all singing all dancing bells and whistles. Front wheel drive, decent range, Reasonably affordable, hopefully, is more what I'm looking
0: for. We'll check back in with Scott next week to see whether he still has the same opinion. Yes, embargo <laughs> March too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're moving on. Um, Toyota has had a shocking start to 2024. Uh, it's been, been in, hit from a couple of different yeah, angles. They've been embroiled in allegations, uh, controversies. There's Sean's now coming from the current affair. Yes, the way he's introducing <laughs> yeah, that. It's almost
2: um, entertainment tonight or something. Yeah, there's now <laughs> another scandal. class action
0: that's not diesel related, surprisingly, and a bunch of recalls. But we're going to skip over the recalls. Because every brand has those. Every brand not has just Toyota. Those. So let's. Um, yeah. Yeah. So aside from they're coming out with an updated Hilux, which has the worst name in the history of Hilux, is the Hilux V Active technology,
1: which is going to be very interesting to drive. I'm, I know I'm
2: sounding like a Toyota <laughs>
0: apologist here. I'd say V interesting. <laughs> yes.
2: It's going to be V interesting. Exactly. <laughs> yes.
0: Um, but yeah. So I guess um, Scott, I'll pass to you first. You want to run us through a little bit because there were some allegations against Toyota for. Uh, claims of power outputs in their diesel models.
2: I'm going to throw to James
0: on
1: that because he's done
0: his research okay, on James it.
2: James <laughs> done the research very well. And then come back to, okay. yeah, so the, to not get too super technical, but basically there were found to be irregularities between um, some of the emissions and um, regulatory testing in t- some of Toyota's diesel cars. So I think it was the, some of the engines that are in like Hilux, Land Cruiser, High Ace in their commercial line and there was a difference in the ECU that was used in the testing and the um, the test process versus what's in the production model so once that was flagged it was uh, it was thought that maybe there was some sort of you know emissions cheat device or Little something. Volkswagen. Thing yeah, and like well, it's Volkswagen. There was a lot of other brands that have done this in the past because you know as as emissions regulations tighten, and we've we've t- spoken about this on the podcast before about you know Toyota makes these big heavy duty diesel engines that you know against tougher emission standards become harder and harder to you know uh, legislate or you know test to those standards. So it's, it wouldn't have been completely far fetched for another manufacturer to do that. But after more investigations, it's found that even though the ECU was different, there was no misconduct found. So for now, they're not going to revoke the certification on those engines. But there is still an investigation for some industrial engines that are on sale at the moment, and that's it. Forklift arms, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's Hino
1: trucks, I think, is the arm.
2: Yeah, so there's a few things like that still underway, and it's just it's sort of like a series of unfortunate events because their Hino truck division has already been done for. Misconduct around emissions testing, and then Daihatsu, the um, K-car and light car manufacturer, was done for falsifying safety information, which we reported a couple of months ago, which is a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. So it's just not a great look for what is the world's biggest car brand, and especially one that people trust for doing the right thing and being methodical and reliable and all that kind of stuff. So you know, with with Dieselgate was a very long time ago. Now you know, when you think about the industry, it was almost ten years ago. But you know, the the fact that these things are still sort of happening has to raise questions around are uh, manufacturers learning from these previous mistakes or are they still trying to find ways to cheat a system.
1: So has Toyota given an explanation as to what was actually going on? Because clearly they've been cleared of emissions cheating based yeah. on the evidence we have so far. Is there a reason the cars did
2: have different ECUs? Mm, I don't think they've been super clear about it. Um, it's been more like an apology and sort of like we will make sure this won't happen again and the Japanese ministry has encouraged or urged Toyota to put things in place to make sure these things don't happen. But, you know, the Japanese brands are typically quite vague and sort of dodge direct answers with these sort of things. So I guess they're, they're perhaps still looking for the answer themselves. And so before we talk about this more broadly as a whole,
0: Scott, what's going on with, the, with the Toyota Finance in, in uh, was it, I guess, was a high court class action? So uh, not high court necessarily,
1: um, but a class action has been launched against uh, Toyota Finance, which is a different company to Toyota Motor Company Australia. But through Toyota dealerships, salespeople are able to assign Toyota Finance to buyers. Um, More than 100,000 customers are expected to be involved based on the initial sort of information from the uh, legal firm that's putting this together. And essentially, they're alleging that a lot of customers, up to 100,000 or more, paid inflated interest rates between 2010 and 2018 on the back of something called flex commissions. And if you've heard that term before, it's because it was very closely uh, focused on during the Banking Royal Commission. Um, it wasn't really focused on in the automotive world, but essentially the simplest form is people are given a higher interest rate and then the salesperson who sells them that interest rate potentially gets a cut of the profit on the way through to encourage them to do that. Um, it's being described by the law firm as a conflict of interest because obviously it leaves customers potentially paying more than they should have for finance. That's relative to the Toyota average, but also the industry average. and. Um, it alleges the law firm behind this that Toyota cashed in on people with low finan- Toyota finance, excuse me, cashed in on people with low financial literacy. So people who maybe didn't quite understand the terms correctly didn't negotiate for a better deal and were allegedly taken advantage of depending on how this plays out, they could be facing uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in, I suppose, overpayments um, that they've made on the back of these. So it is potentially a really big deal. But as is always the case with these legal cases, Toyota does have obviously the right of reply. It obviously may go to court, in uh, in which case we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But it's, uh, it's not a small undertaking.
0: No, and it's not the first um, class action Toyota's recently been involved in. We've discussed uh, Hilux before the DPF issues. But I guess uh, the reason I want to talk about these two topics is it it's the number one brand in Australia by a significant margin. Uh, do you think this will damage trust in the buying public or do you think people want to buy a Toyota, they don't care, they're just going to buy a Toyota? I think
1: the trust in uh, the finance side of things is already quite low. I, I don't know that people, whether it's Toyota or otherwise, um, necessarily particularly trusting of how the finance process works so uh, I don't think it's going to help I mean regardless of whether Toyota finance is separate to Toyota motor company people see Toyota they know that it happened through Toyota dealerships and they put those things together but I don't think that people will necessarily be surprised that there is money to be made by sales people and that people are paying higher high interest rates than they otherwise should have On the emissions stuff, I actually don't know that the general public is as across that as we are in the motoring world. We obviously cover it. Our content goes out through 7 News, through ACM, community media as well. So it has a broad reach, but I don't know that uh, people fully grasp what actually is alleged because it doesn't have the same impact as like a dieselgate scandal or something like that when it's Toyota maybe did something wrong and then Toyota potentially did something wrong, but it wasn't emissions cheating. I think the sort of combination of negative headlines in one period of time is obviously not a good thing and it's, it's not going to be positively received, but it's not as if any one of these things is a, is a massive knockout blow that's going to throw Australia's number one brand off necessarily.
0: So what do you guys think is the next step for Toyota? Because obviously, it's, if you're in the PR department of Toyota, you're probably working overtime right now. I guess, what do you, what do, you do to try and earn some love back within the, the community here?
2: It's a good question. I think, like Scott said, the issues that they're facing at the moment aren't necessarily brand breaking. I think, you know, when you use the Volkswagen example versus the Toyota example, I think in Australia especially, people love to hate the European brands and they love to sting them for reliability, for cost of parts, for servicing, all that kind of stuff. And the dieselgate thing was just another, another big thing that just blew out of proportion because, you know, Australians who already did not give a toss about emissions already was <laughs> suddenly like, oh, well, I'm never buying a Volkswagen diesel now because look at that, they cheat that too. Whereas there are plenty of other brands that came out after that and there was never the same sort of stigma. So I think, you know, with the with with the finance thing, I guess if there's somebody that's been directly impacted and perhaps if it's widespread spread enough that people start talking about it, that could be a problem for that side of the business, whether that stops people from buying Toyotas, I don't know. And then in terms of the the stuff around the emissions and the all that kind of thing, because there was no convicted wrongdoing for the stuff that's affected. I don't think it's going to really be an issue also let's remind ourselves a lot of people that buy 70 series land Cruisers are removing the diesel particulate filter so again i don't think they really care allegedly well yeah we've heard we've heard heard stories on the streets be talking but like yeah i don't know if it's going to have the same effect as something like what volkswagen group went through a few years ago it's also worth remembering with toyota they are incredibly good at marketing
1: themselves in australia they sponsor the men's test cricket team which is essentially Australia's team. I know that not everyone's a cricket fan, but the Aussie cricket team is kind of to Australia what a football team is to somewhere like England. They sponsor the AFL, and then more specifically, they sponsor Adelaide, I believe, within the AFL. They also sponsor a whole lot of community events through their dealers and that sort of thing. For these couple of negative headlines, Twitter is incredibly good at being engaged with the Australian community, with Australian sports fans in a way that few other brands are. And I think that, matters as well. Um, I'm not saying it's necessarily right that they can sweep stuff that's bad under the rug but it's amazing how quickly you forget about stuff like these headlines when your team's playing on the MCG and there's a big Toyota logo on the wing and you're bombarded with it all weekend every
0: weekend or Pat Cummins is taking wickets in New Zealand and he's got a Toyota logo on his chest and that plays a role too. Well uh, if you're sitting at home and you're wondering whether you should trust Toyota write to us let us know we're we're curious leave a comment uh, let us know does this affect your idea of Toyota? Does it affect your choice to buy one? We, we wanna know, we wanna hear from you guys, so leave a comment. All right guys, this week we're wondering uh, which car would you buy? Now, uh, rather than having a model that we're comparing against a bunch of other models, I'm just curious, hybrid SUVs, they're quite popular now, we've seen sales go through the roof. If you had between 50 and 100 grand, which hybrid SUV would you choose? James, I'm gonna start with you.
2: <laughs> I had to think long and hard about this one. There was a couple of choices in there. I went with the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid. I'm a um, big fan of that I one. know you're a big fan <laughs> of it as well, Sean. Um, having just lived with one for the past week, I was really impressed with not only just the fact that you can use it as an EV for pretty much all of the time that you're just doing normal things. Like I drove about 350, 400 Ks during my week of testing and I was sitting at 0.7 liters per 100 Ks. That's not bad at uh, all, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Just with nightly charging, and there were some days that I went beyond the electric range as well. But just the way that the powertrain works, it's really good at um, you know leaning on the electrified stuff for the low load driving, and then using the petrol engine to perhaps charge the battery a little bit to feed the motors. Um, the higher grades obviously have seven seats, which is also a very fairly unique thing for electrified SUVs. Um, it looks great. Um, the high grade ones have really nice interiors. There's good tech, and it's just comfy, quiet, and really just easy motoring to live with and I think a lot of people shopping for that kind of car aren't looking for you know F1 or Civic Type R levels of engagement (laughs) so you know they look good they're nice to drive and they just do the job that they they set out to do.
0: So you were driving the entry level version? No, of I had the plug-in.
2: Exceed Tura, which is the top, top, top one. Oh, it's top, like top. almost 80 grand drive away, okay. which is a lot of money for a Mitsubishi. What do they start out for the firm? So I think the ES plug-in hybrid's about 55 plus on road. So you're looking at about 60 drive away. It's not bad and it gets a, a, a few different things over the petrol powered ES to sort of justify the so 15 grand <laughs> price premium. It's a similar price to a top spec RAV4 hybrid in the, in that trim anyway. Yeah. I think if it Objective value is your thing. I think the Aspire is really good because the one up from base, you get the, the bigger wheels, the nicer look and a few nicer bits inside. It's still a five seater, not a seven seater, but it's like about 10 grand cheaper than the one I'm driving. So, um, you know, I think relative to something like a RAV4 or an Xtrail power it's still fairly good value. And if you can actually charge it every night and use the EV part of the PHEV, it's actually quite compelling. And I,
0: in my experience driving that for a few months, you could charge the battery from empty to full off a wall socket overnight. So it does actually charge quite well. Um, Scott, what about you? What's your pick? I've gone a very different direction because I understand everything James is saying, but don't (laughs) like plug-in hybrids.
1: I think that it's wasteful to carry around an engine you're not using or a battery you're not using. And if you're charging it all the time and you're mostly using the battery, then what's the point of the engine and vice versa? So um, that's a conversation for another day. I would go a Lexus RX 350H Luxury.
2: Um, Two-wheel drive or all-wheel drive? I would go all-wheel drive. Hmm, so he's carrying yeah. around an extra yes. an electric yes. motor that's not always being yes. used. And set of <laughs> golf clubs,
0: just sit in the boot all day. Um, that's basically <laughs> a fancy RAV4 though, isn't it?
1: It is. A, uh, no. So under the skin, I mean, it's all TNGA, which is Toyota's sort of fancy latest generation architecture, which is the, the bones they use to build it. But the RAV4 is quite closely related to the NX. The RX ah, is a bit bigger again. Okay. Still some shared bits and pieces with the Toyota range, but... For me, for one, it feels and is much bigger inside. There's more space in the backseat and more spa- space in the boot than the NX, which is one of my big complaints about that car. But I like that it is very efficient, it's very comfortable, it's very quiet, and it's just no nonsense. Um, I get that people might want to plug in their Outlander, but the idea of being able to turn on the RX every day, not think about anything and still benefit from those fuel savings, particularly around town, is sort of wired by a hybrid. I think also all-wheel drive uh, is important for me because I drive up to the snow a couple of times every year and there are times where if you don't have all-wheel drive, you need to fit chains to your car. So all-wheel drive is saving my fingernails and knuckles from putting chains in the car, you know, underneath the wheels on a snowy road and that's worth the cash from my perspective.
0: Now, very curious because you can have that car with the world's longest name. Would you have it as the Lexus NX 350H F Sport Plus with enhancement pack one? I would not because it would be the RX 350H F Sport Performance, I believe. Um,
1: No, I wouldn't. Um, So (laughs) I know that you're being funny there, but with the RX, you can make it a really quite expensive car. It used to start, in the sort of 70 grand range and run to just above 100. It now starts in the high, mid to high 80 range and runs to 130 odd grand. Um, we drove a base model late last year and it's a really lovely car. It's still really beautifully put together. It's still really nice to drive and it looks a bit dorky on the little wheels, but it's really comfortable because it's got such chubby tires. So. For me, the base model is where I'd be spending my money. That's also because our cap is hundred grand today.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Now, um, is there still incentives for hybrids and plug-in hybrids in other states of Australia outside the draconian state of Victoria? Uh, Depends on where you are.
1: Plug-in hybrids are included in the fringe benefit tax um, exemption scheme. So you can, if you get an ovated lease on a plug-in hybrid under a certain price, pick up some benefits from that regular Toyota-style hybrids aren't included in that. But of course you are potentially saving money on fuel, which is worth something if you're driving in town.
0: Well, if you're interested in either those cars or any other plug-in hybrids, we've got a full list of uh, what all the team would buy between 15 and 100 grand on our website right now. You can find out more by Googling Help Me Car Expert. We'll connect you to a consultant who's based in Australia. Uh, you gonna to talk to someone local and they will actually understand what you're talking about. They'll be able to help you, they'll connect you to a dealer and they might even get you in a new car sooner and possibly even cheaper than you thought you might be able to. So, Google Help Me Car Expert. And if you do use the service, uh, leave a comment, let us know. We'd like to know how it was. Okay, uh, we're gonna move on to some questions, guys. I, I always enjoy the questions. I think they're a lot of fun. So, we've got a few from YouTube this week. Okay. Um, I haven't really given you much of a, a heads up on these, <laughs> so I'm hoping you have some good answers, but, uh, Harrow 88 wants to ask, uh, can you talk about the I30N sedan facelift. Now, I know we had one through the office the other week. Did you guys get a chance to get behind the wheel of it, much?
1: The answer
2: is actually no, we can't talk about it, and I'll let James explain why. <laughs> yeah, so it's under embargo from the launch, um, so there will be a review later this week. But yes, it exists. No, we cannot talk about anything other than what's already public knowledge, like the specs and everything. So if you head to carexpert.com.au, you can find our full price and specs article, and then the review will be live, I think, Friday this week. Mm.
0: And I have to say, uh, they still, they've still they still got that N blue colour, and it looks fantastic. Which we can say that. <laughs> we, we can also say that mechanically it's very
1: similar to the pre-update and we do have a review of that live already. So, Let's just say the, the
0: pre-update was excellent. Yes. And a lot of fun to drive.
1: And the new one hasn't changed that much from there. So you, you do the maths yes. on that.
0: I think I don't think you could go wrong buying any of the i30N products, whether it's the hatch, the fastback or the sedan. Well, least.
1: you can't get a fastback anymore.
0: Oh, but man, no, no longer.
1: Pretty much anything with an N badge on it. The i 20 is a weapon as well. Yes, it is. Um, Has proven pretty effective if you want to have a good time.
0: Yes. And makes a great so 30. We just had a drag race recently. We had a friend of ours come down with her i thirty n mm-hmm. hatch, and the sound that thing made, oh it is the best sound by far. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, thanks for all the fish on YouTube. <laughs> um, question on Sorento speed alerts. You may recall a couple of weeks ago uh, we all had a gripe with the uh, speed alerts on Kia and Hyundai products. But he wants to know: Are they actual speed GPS speed, or the alerts on the speedometer speed? which could be showing 60 when the car is only traveling 55. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: so it doesn't give you alerts based on your real speed. It gives you alerts based on the speed readout. So if the car's speedo says you're doing 61, even if your GPS speed is 58 or whatever it is because of the error,
0: it will still beep at you. Okay, well he can't forgive that according to his comments. So um, I didn't add that bit in, but he said (laughs) If it was the latter and it was based on GPS speed, he could forgive it, but yeah. yeah, um, So if you, for argument's sake, changed the size of wheel and it threw the speedometer out. You could be listening to that ding a lot.
1: I think it's, a, I think, I mean, I think it's an edge case, that. I don't know that many Sorento buyers are going down to Bob Jane and putting some <laughs> sick <laughs> rims on their, their family seven-seater. And it's annoying enough as it is, even with the stock wheels on there. So I wouldn't be worrying too
0: much about the aftermarket. Well, if you've bought a Sorento and put some sick rims on it, write to the <laughs> you. I'd love to prove Scott wrong. All right, our last question. Rob Christie, 629, says... Uh, he'd like some commentary and thought on what type of new car to buy today. Uh, for example, EV, hybrid, ICE, FEV. That um, <laughs> goes on, how long a fossil fuel's gonna be around? Well, it depends how quickly we dig them out of the ground. Uh, Will ICE vehicles be usable and worthless in 5, 10 or 15 years? Will EVs ever fully take off in our big country?
2: Well, Scott's biased. (laughs) (laughs) So uh,
0: according to Scott, PHEVs will not, (laughs) But
1: I think with this, it depends on how long you plan to keep the car for one, but it also depends on what you're doing with it. We are currently actually really lucky in that we have an incredible range of choice. You can buy everything from a really cheap petrol-only car all the way through to an exceedingly expensive electric-only car. And if I were to say that electric is completely useless and you shouldn't buy one now, that'd be completely ignoring the fact I don't know how Rob Christie 629 drives. So there are questions about uh, the future for electric cars when it comes to resale. There are also questions about how much longer you're gonna be able to buy petrol cars in certain parts of the world. I would say where we are now, you just gotta buy the best car for what it is you're actually planning to do. And to my mind, and I'll obviously let James give his thoughts on this as well, if you're doing a lot of highway driving, the best car you can buy is probably a diesel. If you're spending a lot of time in the city, then a more efficient regular hybrid is a great option. And if you can charge it at home and you know that you're not going to be leaning on public charging infrastructure too much, then if you're comfortable with the potential for depreciation, an electric cars is a great option. So, at risk of not answering the question. It just really depends on what you're driving and what you're doing.
0: James, what about you? Where do you stand?
2: Yeah, sort of to echo that, I think it, it really depends on what your requirements are. My thing for a very long time in terms of advice to people is get the car that best suits your needs in the most efficient way. I think we're in a, a really transitional period of um, the industry where you know we've got regulations coming in, it could change the landscape, but we're also seeing EV uptake declining across different major markets in the world, so the future's not quite as clear. A lot of people ask questions about warranties and things like that. I personally believe in Australia at least, if Europe and the UK are going to like EV only things in 2030, 2035, we're at least another 10 years behind. So I don't think if you were to buy a petrol car tomorrow that you're going to be left with nothing in five years. And a lot, a lot of people care about depreciation, even though I don't necessarily buy a car thinking about selling it as a priority as opposed to enjoying it while I've got it. But, you know, I think if you can, if you have the option of an electrified version that's, you know, not too out of your budget, and you can make the most out of the the fuel savings or you know any incentives in place that you could benefit from absolutely go for it but if a like Scott said if a petrol or diesel is still the best car for your needs and for your circumstances I think that's still the best option just try and get the most efficient most current version that you can
0: it's the age old, it's like the old debate they used to have do you need a car with seven seats or do you just buy a sedan and I guess it's Different tech, same, same story. So, yeah, buy what's best for you, Rob Christie629. Uh, all right, we're nearly at the end. It's time for our picks of the week. Who would like to go first? Can I go first? Because I'm afraid James will steal mine. I, have a, I had a feeling that his is going to be the same as yours. They but might be the same if they're thing. They're both the same. That's fine.
2: I'll I might surprise you this week, okay, though. Fine.
0: You never know. Go on, Scott. So, uh, my pick this week
1: is uh, on the back of the fact there's a new season of Drive to Survive that I haven't yet watched because I have an international yeah, flight coming up. Okay. Um, but it's called Obvious Things in Drive to Survive. And this guy's not actually in the show, but he's sort of a hybrid of all the commentators saying very obvious things like, quality is short for qualifying. If you finish first, you win the race. If your car crashes, it's bad because your car is broken. Really obvious stuff like that, but I find it very enjoyable because as someone who does like motorsports, Drive to Survive is awesome, but incredibly frustrating when they explain the most mundane details six
0: seasons in. Well, not to worry. I've watched uh, half of season six. Yep. And there's plenty yeah. of that. So oh, to worry Very about good.
2: <laughs> uh, James, what have you got? I've gone for a bit of a different route this week. So no Drive to Survive content for me. Drive to
0: Survive content he doesn't want to talk about Carlos Sides. No,
2: no, he wasn't in much of the first episode. So I wasn't that interested. Um, but I actually came across a really cool reel by Shmi, who's a YouTuber from the UK. And he went to meet a friend who had just pres- taken delivery of his new car and it so happened to be a Porsche 911 Dakar in this like oh. army green oh. and he's got all these um, bespoke things on it, like some blacked out parts and like a, a quote from Back to the Future in the driver's seal in English on one side and German on the other.
0: Marty Fly famously drove a 911. <laughs> no,
2: he no, did no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of like a 911, maybe, because it had the same amount of doors. I don't know. But then it also <laughs> was custom built to match his Huracan Starato. Okay. So he has two like army green off-road supercars with like a, a tire rack on the roof and you know, custom bits on them and everything. And Planning I thought- to stage the world's bougiest invasion. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Or, or just a cool June or death race or something like that. I don't know, but it just, it was really cool. And I'd never seen something like that. And it's cool to see more of this colorful bespoke stuff hitting the internet again. Cause I know we have sort of like 50 shades of gray in terms of car color choices these days and not in the fun way. So <laughs> So <laughs> that was my pick for the week.
0: Uh, I'm cu- actually okay. on that. I don't want to move on just yet. What do you guys think? Would it be cool to get a drag race between a Storado, a 911 Dakar, and a Ram TRX? Do you think that would be that? Would that be a drag race you would watch? Only
1: if I could drive one of them in the race. Well, no, we want the cars to actually do well. So yeah, leave right. on time, finish on time. I'm your man. Uh, yes, I would love to see yeah. that. Well, would you watch that, Jay?
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I feel like it
2: has to be like on
0: sand or something. Yeah, it have to be off road. Yeah, that'd be so cool. We could do it outside our office with all the roadworks going on at the moment. We could do a long jump competition with those cars. Oh, big okay. sand pit, big jump. See which flies furthest.
2: And Scott's about to get.
0: for all the pr's hello porsche pr yes yes, yes, we won't let him drive it all right my pick this week uh it's sort of the same as last week it's the ford super van again they actually posted a time around mount panorama and it is the fastest non-competitive official record that's yes it's very confusing so to set a record at a racetrack generally it has to be in competition yeah so Uh, I think the current fastest time in competition around Mount Panorama is like a 159. Is that Van Gisbergen and McLaren? Yeah, Yeah, a few years ago. Um, But non-competition laps, I guess you could argue the Jensen Button did an F1 car. It was a minute 40 something from memory. (laughs) But that was that was like a display lap. So this one is actually a non-competition record: 1 minute 56.28 seconds around Mount Panorama. Now, if you've driven Mount Panorama, in a road car. That's a terrifying thought because it takes about five or so minutes to drive around it at 60 and 60 is more than fast enough around that place. I don't know what you guys think. But. I haven't driven around it.
1: Actually, that's a lie. I've been a passenger around it on a hot lap. Um, it's so impressive that Ford has taken a, a delivery van, essentially, <laughs> and it's kind of showing off what I can do with its electric tech. I just want to know if you were to put it like for more than one lap would it be able to do it repeatably? Or is it so heavy, so energy dense that it's doing one lap, it's cooking its tires and it's got no battery left? That would be the next test for me because one lap is really impressive. I kind of want to see a fleet of super vans racing now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I know when we had the Transit uh, Electric and we did a video with it last year, a little while ago, by the time we were doing a second lap around the ride and handling, of course the battery depleted so much it wasn't giving us full power. Anymore. Right. But I presume when you build a race car, you can get around that sort of stuff. Uh, it was good as it was a van though, because I imagine he had massive pair that he had to put in the back to be able to do that lap around there. So uh, congratulations to Ford for that because they walloped a custom built Mercedes AMG mm. GT3. Deeply yeah. impressive. Yes. Uh, so that record stood for a week and then it was <laughs> so very cool. uh, Guys, any final thoughts before we wrap up this week?
1: Um, I just want to see more car brands send cool stuff around Bathurst, actually. It's a new little sort of corner of the motoring world
0: in Australia that I feel like we're starting to explore. Yeah, the Nürburgring's so done. That's it, right? Let's make Bathurst the hub
1: for that stuff so we can be a bit more
0: hands-on with it. Yeah, What what about you, James? Any final thoughts?
2: Uh, we've just got a big week of launches and I'm excited to see what comes out of it. Yeah, so so we know Scott's driving
0: the new BZ4X. The
2: Meatmore. more. Meet more. Well, yes,
0: what do you have to drive? This, like?
2: I'm going to drive the new Hyundai Ioniq 5N, which oh, is really exciting because- it's a much
0: more interesting electric car. Sorry, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's
2: a bit, a bit more um, out there than the BZ4X of the Solterra Ooh. that the other guys are driving, but it's not just a road drive, we're also doing a track drive around oh, Sydney okay. Motorsport Park, so I'll get to sort of experience it as a daily car or a, you know a fun, road car as well as on the track. So I'm just really excited because all the stuff that I've seen about this car has been so overwhelmingly positive. So sort I of like the Civic Type R, so I'm really keen to see if it lives up to the hype for me.
0: I'm very keen to see if you can hold it flat through turn one at your Motorsport Park. That's Maybe I'll that's put in a GoPro funny. and see, give you some footage.
2: You <laughs> 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 Might be talking to James
0: from a hospital bed next week. <laughs> all right, well, that pretty much brings us to the end this week, guys. Uh, have fun on your launches this week. That'll be really fun. Next week, uh, we are allowed to talk about the Mitsubishi Triton. That's, uh, that's March 1st. That review goes live, but we will talk about it on the podcast. James will fill us in on all the details of his drive of that. In was in South Australia. You went for a drive, wasn't it? So uh, make sure you're subscribed or you're following along if you're listening, and you'll be able to hear that next week. Guys, enjoy your launches, and we'll see you next week. Thank you all of us for joining. Uh, from all of us, thank you for joining this week. We'll see you next time.